Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And now, your Father, may you have your way with us. Show us what to do. Teach us how to live. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus had a cousin, John the Baptist. Somewhere along the way, John, growing up, just got sick and tired of being at home, sick and tired of all all of the politics in the little community where he grew up, and uh, pretty much sick and tired and wanted to strike out on his own. We don't know how old he was, but um, he decided he was going to live in the desert, um, <clears throat> eat bugs, and, and just be a different kind of guy. And in the desert, he got to the point where he was living essentially alone, but there were some people out there that he connected with, the, the Essenes. They were, they were a desert people. And they were just sort of anti-establishment, put it that way. They lived in the wilderness because the wilderness is where God did his good work. Throughout the scriptures, God says, I'll take you out to the wilderness. I'll I'll restore you there where you can live in utter, complete dependence upon me. So at some point in his life, John got a calling. And that was to call men and women to repentance. And he started preaching in the desert. And he was, of course, the voice crying in the wilderness. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. It was now the 15th year in the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Traconitus. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At that time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. When John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves and the, will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? 
Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to, the, to be baptized and asked, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or, false or make false accusations and be content with your, your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into the barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to many others. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So Luke tells this story in a rather unique manner. He goes into the hereditary succession of not just Rome, but also of what's going on in Judah, in Jerusalem in particular. So the story of Rome is expanded upon after, after Alexander the Great. He died early as a young man in his early 30s. But then everything was divided up amongst his generals and his generals fought with one another and took over land and, and we enter into that, that history here by Luke's uh, repeating those who are in charge of the Roman government and the various provinces in that area. And we kind of wonder, why? Well, the Romans thought they were everything. The Romans thought that they were the great empire ever to be on the, on the face of the planet. And then under the Romans, he also then details who is in charge of the Jewish people, those who've been appointed by the Roman authorities. And he goes on then also to describe those who are in charge through the priesthood, through the temple itself. Every one of those 
hierarchies are by hereditary. They are all father and son successions. And, and so it's, it's one of those setups that John, pardon me, that Luke gives us that, that those who are in charge of things are those who've inherited these positions. And they're there because of their, their background, their ancestry. And they're there as those who are privileged. And they're the ones who, who are in charge. Then comes the people. <laughs> when John sees them coming, says, you brood of vipers, you think that you're something special because you're children of Abraham. So once again, they're, they're claiming some special status by virtue of birth. So John says to them, that, that really means absolutely nothing. The area where John preached was littered with river stones of the Jordan. And he said, God can raise up sons of Abraham out of these stones. That's how important it is to be an inheritant, have inherited power or inherited entitlement. This doesn't exempt you from anything. Your responsibility is not set aside simply because you're part of a royal family or a royal priesthood or a royal people. There are no such entitlements in life. The reality is dignity comes to us not because of anything but the fact that we take responsibility for ourselves. We often think in, in terms of dignity as coming because we're free. But freedom all by itself is meaningless. It really is a matter of taking responsibility, taking responsibility for our lives. So I was watching um, PBS NewsHour Friday night. It's one of my Saturday, Saturday morning or Friday night rituals is to watch Brooks and Capehart. And um, they are political commentators. And of course, this last week, the, um, apparently they found some documents that, that Biden had with, that are marked secret or confidential or whatever. And this is like a bit of an embarrassment given comments that have been made by one side against the other side for the documents found at Mar-a-Lago. And, um, and I'm just thinking no one there are no innocent parties here. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and whatever that means in whatever category and whatever aspect. But then Jonathan Capehart started out by saying, well, it's, it's really no big deal. No big deal. Um, perhaps because of a sense of belonging to a particular tribe, we're willing to give a pass. No big deal. In other words, we don't expect him to take responsibility for his actions. 
The same is true on the other side of the divide. We don't expect him to take responsibility for his actions. Well, where's the dignity in that? So John is calling upon the people to take responsibility. Being children of Abraham means nothing. Being part of a a powerful ruling family means nothing. Being part of the priesthood means nothing. Take responsibility. So he's tough. And we read these words and it just doesn't sound very Christian of him. You brood of vipers. Well, Jesus takes that same, up that same language later on with the denominational authorities in Jerusalem. And sometimes we think that, that really to be Christian is to not, not be tough, not be forthright, not be, not be bold. In Revelation, there's a a depiction of one who is to come, described as the Lion of Judah. And this description in Revelation is of this one who, as John says, pardon me, as Luke says in this passage, that he will winnow the fields and burn the chaff. And what is announced is the the Lion of Judah. And then onto the stage walks the Lamb who was slain. And the reality is those those two truths must be held in tension. We cannot resolve that tension by saying, well, Jesus really was meek and mild. Jesus really was, he was a pacifist. Well, Jesus said, don't think I've come to bring peace on earth. I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. When the disciples were going out on a missionary journey, he said, if you don't have a sword, buy one. One of the disciples said, well, we got two of them here. He said, that's enough. Then in the garden, as one of the temple Attendants had an ear lopped off. Then Jesus said, put that sword away. Who live, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And he put the ear back on Malthus's head. And, and so Jesus is both tough and tender. And we, with our, our faith and our understanding of the nature of faith, have to take the reality of harsh words such as John issues here and it's Jesus issues in other places and incorporate that into the reality of who we understand Jesus to be. Because he is both, he's both wild and he's tame. His being tame would mean nothing if he didn't have that wild side. And this faith of ours is both a a wild reality as well as a tender one, as well as tame. 
Now, this is, this is tough to, to unpack all of this because I'm setting up for, for you all uh, an irresolvable tension. But the reality is we don't want to minimize human sin. We don't want to be forgiven for a large sin as if it was a little sin. We want to make sure that the reality of our sin is known and experienced and the reality of our need is felt. I shared with the class this week about when I was in junior high, 13 years old, a friend of mine were both at Knott's Berry Farm in Southern California, which is kind of an amusement park type place. And uh, we were in a gift shop and Theo, Theo Faber, you should watch Theo. <laughs> He's in California. Theo Faber was going through this gift store and robbing them blind. He was shoplifting. One thing after another. And so I had a few dollars in my pocket, but I, I thought I'd try it. And I took a ring cost $1.38, and I put it in my pocket. Ready to leave the store, I got caught. Security took me into their office, sat me down, gave me a good talking to, and I was, of course, terrified. I had visions of myself behind bars, locked away. You know, looking back on that, I am so glad that they didn't take a small infraction and treat it in a small way. I'm glad they treated it as if it was a great big huge sin. Let's face it, however small it may be, it's just as real. Things may be different quantitatively, but not qualitatively. And I learned, I learned my lesson. Not the least of the reasons being that they called mom and dad at home. And, and we, we ought not be in, a, in an attitude of simply winking at the reality of sin. Even if that person is on our team, We ought to have that, that sense of, of John and Jesus. And that is that, that the sin is real. And, and we are all not just capable of it, we're all guilty of it. And, and so, so what do we do? That's what the people ask. What should I do? See, the people of Abraham... They got into this sacrificial system where they would do whatever they would do. All they had to do was go to the temple and give them a couple pigeons and they're done. I had a friend of mine in college who was Catholic and, and he said, well, all you got to do is you go to, you go to church on Sunday and get the wafer and you're good. And of course, that's a, a gross misunderstanding of the reality of human sin. Was then, it is now, and instead of giving 
each other a pass instead of giving ourselves a pass, what do we do? Well, John says, not only don't do those bad things, but go beyond that. Just be fair, be forthright, be clear. Do what you know is right. Martin Luther would at times recognize that he was being tempted by the devil, as he said. There's one instance in which he was working in his study and he actually took his quill and threw it at the wall thinking it was hitting the devil. But when these things happened, he would simply say, baptizato sum, I am baptized. Sometimes they say, I am a Christian. I am baptized. I belong to God. So what do we do? We fend off the reality as best we can. If it means just repeating to ourselves, I am baptized, so be it. But our identity is grounded in in Christ and his redemptive love for us. It's Christ who has taken all of that into himself on the cross. So John, saying what he did, as he said it, I'm sure he was one of those who spoke with fire and pointed directly into people's faces. And when he confronted the religious leadership, Herod, then he got thrown in jail. He got imprisoned. And he never came out. That time ended for him when he was beheaded. And you've heard that story. But he spoke the truth He spoke the truth with fury. Jesus spoke the truth with love. But the truth has a furious side and a loving side. But that's how we are are to address the reality of human sin in all of our hearts and all of our lives. We're to be serious about it and not give a pass to it. That's so often the way it is now. We just give it a pass. And when we do so, we're not taking the life, death, and sacrifice of our Savior seriously. Or he died for you and me. He took that sin off of us And it died with him on the cross. And so John, who must have known this was happening, must have known this was the end of the Messiah's work, simply gave that love a ferocious tone and called upon the people to do what they need to do. Will you join me in prayer? And, O Lord, may we be inclined 
to be angry at sin. First in ourselves, so that we might not judge others. But that with a tough look at our own lives and our own frailties, that we might understand the frailties of others. And after the toughness, find the tenderness that is required of your children. Lord God, may we hear the words of John the Baptist anew. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.